This is the Joe and Amber podcast. You were very fancy. You were doing television. You were juggling both TV work and radio simultaneously. So you had to step away for a few minutes. You were doing a television hit for us here at ESPN. You came back later in the interview, but you missed Myron talking about how we are official. He has determined that we have made it in this business because we officially had to put in a request for him. He got the official request rather than just me or you simply reaching out to Myron, who we both worked with many times. We have made it in this business, as has Myron Medcalf. I don't know if you saw it last night, but the jacket he was wearing at the national championship game was simply incredible. Think Michael Buffer meets Tom Selleck in Hawaii Five-0. That's what you had. It was like a beautiful tux blazer, but in the flower print that Tom Selleck would wear in Hawaii Five-0. He looked fantastic. Myron Metcalf, we love you. And it's not so much that we made it when it comes to you getting a request from the producer instead of us. We're just too lazy to do it ourselves. <laughs> That's, too lazy to do it ourselves. That is for sure. Now, this jacket that you're describing, you said it's from Hawaii Five-0. Then you referenced Tom Selleck. Isn't that one of those shows that then had like a reboot more recently? Don't so worry you about that. Sound crap. 150 years old referencing the Tom don't, Selleck version don't worry about of that Hawaii crap. Five-0. James is Joe sharing Ford with us Ball. the photo. Yeah, there it is. There Joe it is. Joe Fordenball is very anti-reboot. I think it's lazy. I think it reeks of just a really? money grab rather than coming up with any creativity or trying to sit around and come up with something new. It's why Christopher Nolan is the best director of the current generation. He comes up with original, unique concepts. Everyone else is just copying everything. This reboot of Hawaii Five-0, that's not what I'm talking about. The original OG gangster Tom Selleck version. That's I don't what we're talking about ever seen either of those i think i used to also be against the reboot but that feels like the direction that we're going in the world like everything is a reboot now and some of them weren't bad honestly i was on a plane recently and i saw the reboot reboot from fresh prince of bel-air it wasn't terrible i was shocked it wasn't that bad the reboot from karate kid was pretty good that was interesting yeah, that one was that, pretty good. That's not so much a reboot seasons. as it is the story picking back up. A reboot is, is taking reboot. the concept and just doing it, doing the same thing with new people. Okay. The Karate Kid concept is just picking up the story how many years later. That is a fantastic show. I will yeah, give you Fresh Prince of Bel Air one is also like that. It's just picking up the story, a totally different story, essentially. Ugh. But by, with by similar, the way, we're down the rabbit hole here. We're down the one. rabbit hole. We are down the rabbit hole. Last night, UConn down the rabbit hole. They did not need to slug one out against San Diego State. Frankly, they made easy work of San Diego State. 76 to 59. Joe and Amber is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so that you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. That gives the Huskies, Joe, their fifth national championship. Are they a blue blood? I don't think so, and I don't think they should want to be a blue blood. From all the research I've done, the term blue blood was first used in college basketball conversations back in 1927. It was a newspaper in Brooklyn, New York, featured a sub-headline that read, Central's made up of basketball blue bloods. The headline was plenty of class to Rochester 5. I'm not going to get into the details of the whole thing. But that's where the term was first used. Obviously, we have this idea of these certain teams that are there. Like, would the Ivy League accept another school? 
No. And it would not be an official Ivy League school. They would keep that team out. And if you're UConn, I don't think you want to be a blue blood. I don't think you're looking to be classified where Kentucky and North Carolina and some of these other teams that are the traditional blue bloods, where they're classified. Do you? It is remarkable that this school in Connecticut with what kind of recruiting base for basketball is located in Connecticut? Like they, and they, they've won all these titles with, is it four different coaches mm-hmm. in four different decades, five different titles, and they're located in Connecticut. It's not like it's Los Angeles with UCLA, right? It's amazing what they have been able to do. So, no, I want them off on their own. I don't think they should want to join anybody else's classification. See, I think that there's no debate now that they're a blue blood. This is a program that has won five national championships, only UCLA, Kentucky, and North Carolina, all schools that we consider blue bloods, have more than UConn has. The Huskies have as many national championships as Duke, another perennial blue blood, and Indiana. They have more than Kansas, a blue blood school, more than Villanova, more than Louisville, more from than some of these traditional college basketball programs if you need a fifth title and a 5-0 and record in order to prove that a school is a blue blood, you got one from UConn. They're perfect in national championships. They have the best record on the ultimate stage. They are the only program to have won every national championship game that they have ever appeared in with that many national championship games under their belt. When they get to April, they win. And that's what UConn is about. And the blue blood programs are programs that we think of as powerhouses. You can't tell me that UConn isn't a powerhouse over the last three decades. And you mentioned it across numerous different coaching staffs in different eras. They're able to do it and they're able to get it done as well as anybody else, including Duke. The manner in which they just show up out of nowhere every few years, run through the tournament, claim a championship, and then disappear for a few years is just fascinating to me. And that doesn't mean they completely fall apart or they're terrible. It reminds me on a much smaller scale of what we used to see from the Miami Marlins around the turn of the millennium. Mm. Like the Marlins would, would be nothing. And then all of a sudden they would pop with all these prospects. They would win a World Series. Everyone would say, what the hell just happened? And then they would trade or sell everybody of note go into the tank for four or five years, come back and win another World Series. Like, that's what it feels like with UConn. Like, every so often, you just have to look at your watch and say, oh, it's been about six years, UConn's due to win another national championship, and then they go out and do it. And the way in which they did it, it was never in doubt. They pulverized the competition in every single game. Last night was never a game. There was a moment, and we talked about this yesterday, that if San Diego State fell into a hole early, they were not going to be able to come back and win because they didn't have the offense to do that. And somehow they scratched back to within five in the second half, and then there was the big three-pointer, and the Huskies put it on in the rest of the way. That's exactly how it played out. This UConn team is something special, really something special. They are something special, especially how dominant they were in this tournament, dominant the entire way through, never really having to struggle for any of these wins, most of these winning wins coming by 20 points or more, just completely dominant performance by a team that Joe Fortenbaugh had. Winning the national title. Look at that. He was right. Joe and Amber's on ESPN Radio coming up next. Both the ladies. You're calling yourself very smart. I'm just saying that that pick, that assessment. Yeah, it's very smart. It's hard to argue. 99th percentile of all brackets. Your boy. 99th percentile of all brackets. We as a show crushed all the other radio shows 
on this network. They they made us all do a pool together. We said we're independent operators. We like to do our own thing. They forced us into it. So we went into it and we laid a big left hook on everybody. Mm-hmm. Shame on them. Yeah, uh, they don't want none. I'm just riding your coattails because I had Kansas <laughs> winning this saying thing. So clearly I know nothing. Both the Lakers and the Warriors. They have huge games tonight. We're going to get into the NBA's Wild Wild West. That's next. This is ESPN Radio. You can also listen to us on the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. We will get into the NBA playoffs. We are on our way down the stretch of the regular season here as it concludes this Sunday, and things are hot, particularly in that Western Conference. But first, Joe's going to give you a little betting advice. Let's get to it. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. Hey, oh, that is how you close out the college basketball season. Last night we went 3-0, and plus three units, which means overall for the show, 65 wins, 61 losses, plus 12.9 units. I beg you to find another radio show that's turning a profit like we are over this many picks. Here we go. First pizza money for tonight, the Minnesota Timberwolves minus three over the Brooklyn Nets. This game tips around 7.40 p.m. Eastern. Very simple handicap here. Two nights ago, Minnesota played Portland in Minnesota. Portland has completely punted on the remainder of the season to the point where the Blazers were a 19-point underdog. 19 points. They were an underdog to Minnesota, and the Timberwolves lost that game by two points. 
That is astoundingly bad. So much so that when you have 48 hours to think about it, you come out firing the next time we see you on the court. We're going to bet Minnesota to bounce back minus three over Brooklyn. Pizza money, number one. So we thought back in 2019 when the Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers looked like superstar-wise this version of the Clippers and Los Angeles Lakers that we were going to get this matchup tonight, maybe in the Western Conference Finals. We're not getting it in the Western Conference Finals, at least not yet, but we are getting it amongst these two as the biggest game they've ever played against each other. This is shaping up to be that kind of important because you are talking about two teams that have, of course, championship aspirations They need to win this game in order to put themselves in a position so that they can actually compete in a postseason because neither of these teams want to find themselves in a play-in. The Clippers know all too well getting eliminated in the play-in. And the Lakers also know finding success in a play-in situation may not come easy for them. So you've got a big one tonight. This Western Conference is absolutely stacked just in terms of the closeness of the standings, Joe. The East is sorting itself out a little bit, but the Clippers have led the Lakers by as many as six and a half games this season. Fortune has slowly shifted. The Lakers got healthy. They got rid of Russell Westbrook. He went to the Clippers. That doesn't seem to be working out at times for the Clippers. They got bit by the injury bug. The tides have shifted here, and it set things up perfectly in a very interesting way for these teams down the stretch. We're we're talking about this matchup tomorrow night, right? The Clippers-Lakers? Uh, is that tomorrow night? That's tomorrow, but no, that's tomorrow. No, it is tomorrow, 10 p.m. I'm glad we're bringing that up because the Lakers have a big matchup with Utah tonight where on the surface you would say Utah's punting here down the stretch. I believe they've lost something like, I don't know, seven of eight. I have to go back and look, but they haven't been playing well. The Lakers, since LeBron James is back, it's only four games, but they're three and one. They're scoring 121 points per game. They're fourth in offensive efficiency. They're like sixth in net rating. They've been playing very, very well. Effective field goal percentage, excuse me. That's where they rank sixth. They've been playing very, very well. Now, some people could say, well, it's not really against elite competition. Well, what do you think Utah is? The question for the Lakers, though, do you get caught looking ahead to tomorrow night's matchup that Amber just mentioned against the Clippers? Because that is a massive showdown. Clippers currently the five seed. They're 11 and a half back of first place. Lakers currently the seven seed, 12 back of first place. The Warriors are nestled right in the middle as the six seed. They have Oklahoma City tonight in the Bay Area. Now, Warriors at home versus Warriors on the road, two different stories. But the Warriors have been stumbling all over themselves this season. They just played Denver without Nikola Jokic and still found a way to lose that game. And afterwards, Steph was saying, look, if we're going to make, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if we're going to make any sort of run whatsoever, we have got to find a way to stop blowing games like this, which is exactly what they did. So the way it's jammed up, it is just fantastic how the West is going to play out over the next few nights. I mean, I even got caught looking ahead. Uh, so we'll see wrong if Los that. Angeles gets caught looking ahead. But yes, that big showdown is tomorrow night. The Western Conference looks like this currently. With the Nuggets as the number one seed, they have to win one, I believe, to lock that in, Joe. The Grizz, the number two seed, they still have to win a few in order to lock that in. The Kings at number three need one more to lock in three. The Phoenix Suns at four need a couple, but the Phoenix Suns, these teams, the Clippers behind them, the Golden State Warriors, as you mentioned, the Los Angeles Lakers, like these are all teams that could find themselves 
in a play-in scenario or could find themselves very squarely into the postseason because the margins are so, so small. And it's a really fun place to be. We're down the stretch. You have all these really important games as we head into an Easter Sunday because this quite literally could come down to the last regular season game of the season. High drama. High drama indeed. There are so many different scenarios you can start to assess to figure out what's the best storyline. For example, very quietly, no one has mentioned or been paying attention to the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, they have a big showdown with Sacramento tonight. And with how well Sacramento has played, you might say to yourself, all right, I don't understand why is New Orleans a four-point favorite. Let's let you in on that. Sacramento's basically locked into the three seed right now. It's not official, but it looks like a high probability chance of them finishing three. New Orleans, meanwhile, is currently the eight seed. Now, they're a half game back from being the five seed, but they're only two games up on missing the play-in entirely. That's how jammed up it is. And New Orleans has been playing exceptional basketball as of late. Seven and one straight up, seven and one against the spread over their last eight. They are pulverizing the competition in those seven wins by an average of 20 points per game. Since the start of March, they have been number two in the NBA in defensive efficiency. Do not sleep on New Orleans. They're getting hot at the right time, and we saw them make some more noise last year when they got to the postseason, giving Phoenix all they could handle. Think about Sacramento. I want to run this by you. They are, if they win tonight... They end up closing out the Pacific Division. Before the season started, the Sacramento Kings, to win their division, not to win the title, not to win the West, to win their division, 250 to 1. Crazy. If you bet $1, it returned 250 bucks. That's how much of a long shot the Kings were just to win their division. We're not talking about the title, Amber. I want to go back to the Pels for just a moment. Their remaining schedules, you mentioned there, Sacramento, uh, Memphis, the New York Knicks, and Minnesota. That's the hardest of the West's potential play-in teams. Uh, the highest possible finish, though, for the New Orleans Pelicans is the four seed. And, like, that's always remarkable. Like, we're, we're at a point where there's four games left in the season for that team, and they could finish the four seed or finish – in a play-in type scenario, and it's anybody's guess where any of these teams are going to end up. That's what makes the play-in so compelling this year. I know when the NBA switched to this, a lot of people thought, I don't know, do we really need to see the Wizards and some of these other teams at the bottom of the barrel fight with each other just for the right to get eliminated? Yes, because in this scenario, it is a beautiful thing. Take a look at what you're faced with right now in terms of those play-in teams. The Lakers, the Pelicans, the T-Wolves, and the Thunder, okay? If any of those teams wins it, you're telling me they can't give Denver a run? Denver is not a bulletproof one seed. We've seen bulletproof one seeds in the past. Think about when the Warriors were controlling the Western Conference. For those who hated the Warrior Dynasty, this is absolutely what you should be excited about because this is the complete opposite of what a dynasty in a one-horse race looks like in an NBA conference. The East is not as crazy, but there's still some winning left to do in the East as well. The Bucks need to win three in order to lock in that one seed. The Celtics need one to lock in the two. 76ers need one to lock in that three seed. And the Cavs need one 
to lock in that four seat. We will certainly be looking at these games all week long and how this is going to play out in these conferences in the NBA. Coming up next here on Joe and Amber, Manny Machado accomplished in Major League Baseball first earlier today. We will get into that. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Amber Wilson and Joe Fortenbaugh here hanging out with you. You can find him on social at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. You can also tell your smart speakers to play ESPN radio to hear us. It is that simple. We are going to get into the sound that we might have missed over the last 24 hours. But first, Joe's got more advice headed your way. Let's do it. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. Pizza money number one was the Timberwolves minus three over the Nets. Pizza money number two tips, tips off, excuse me, at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's a player prop. Joel Embiid over three and a half assists against the Boston Celtics. This one's juiced a little bit, minus 125. Embiid's averaging 4.2 assists per game on the season, so we're not asking him to do a whole lot more than he normally does. But what I want you to note is the opponent, Boston, He shows up assist-wise at his absolute best when he plays the Celtics. Over the last two years, he's faced Boston seven times. He's had five or more assists in six of those games. Why, you might ask? Well, when he gets the ball down on the low block, Boston defenders tend to bum-rush him. He outlets and gets the ball out to whichever open shooter he can find. Those shooters knock down the shot. So here we go, pizza money number two, Joel Embiid over three and a half assists. They said it, but what did they really mean? What are you trying to say to us? Sound on, sound off with Joe and Amber. Joe and Amber is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. The Cowboys parted ways with running back Ezekiel Elliott this offseason, but are still on the lookout for more weapons for Dak Prescott and for that offense. Could that help come during the draft in the form of another first-round running back? Todd McShay told Fitz and Harry that it could definitely be the case. Think about B. John Robinson in the backfield with Tony Pollard, who's a perfect complement and shouldn't be a bell cow back, but is perfect in that 15 15- touch per game kind of you know scenario and then with Dak, Dak Prescott and the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield from from Bijan Robinson and Mike McCarthy always wanting to have that star back you know going back to Marshawn Lynch he was so disappointed when they didn't draft him and they were he was so disappointed in free agency when he came up and and, and wound up going somewhere else so I think that with the aggressiveness that Dallas wants to have the playmaker they need with Zeke leaving town it, it, it signals to me that Dallas could be one of the teams looking to move up into the teens to take B. John Robinson. Hello, producer extraordinaire, James Steele. Oh, wow. You said something nice about me today. I know. All right, well, I thought I'd switch it up. You know, see uh, how it goes. <laughs> I'm a little bit shocked. Uh, all right, Joe. So McShay has the Cowboys possibly taking B. John Robinson in the first round. Would it really be a good idea for them to draft another running back in the first round? 
I mean, it's it's hard to call it a bad idea when you take a really talented player who has a very bright future in the NFL. Hard to call that a bad idea. I don't know if the opportunity is going to be there because the Cowboys are currently sitting at number 26. McShay himself has Robinson mocked to the Detroit Lions at 18, the second of their first-round picks. So that would mean you have to trade up to get him. And I think that's where it begins to get pricey. You're not just going to use a first-round pick on a Rob- on a running back, albeit a very talented one, but you're going to give up additional assets to go up and get him when you do have pressing needs along the offensive line and at the tight end position. If you hold Pat, you might be able to get Michael Mayer, the tight end at a Notre Dame, which would address a need at no additional cost. So I don't think it's the best idea to trade up to get Bijan Robinson. He's an extremely talented player, but Dallas has more pressing needs that they can address for a cheaper cost. It's pretty amazing that we're talking about drafting a running back in the first round in 2023 because I feel like drafting running backs in the first round has fallen out of favor here the last few years. But now we're also talking about drafting a running back in the first round and trading up to do so. That seems to me hard to believe. Now, I am like Joe. I won't call it a bad move taking a running back in the first round generally. I know that there's this idea that, well, running backs grow on trees these days and you can kind of win with one that's average, so why do we need to go use a high pick? However, I would say that you also need a running back on a rookie contract if you are going to have an elite running back because you don't want to have to pay that position down the line, and that's what ended up being the real mistake here, I think, with Dallas with Ezekiel Elliott. I don't have a problem with Dallas having drafted Ezekiel Elliott in the first round. They got a whole lot of production out of him, and and Zeke was very good, right? I have a problem with the contract that they handed him after that, and then that kind of seemed to cloud Jerry Jones' judgment in terms of how long they're going to hang on to him when he was clearly declining. It's the longevity of that position that concerns me. It's that second contract, not that rookie contract. I wouldn't necessarily trade up in the first round for a running back, but if Bijan Robinson is a generational talent and you want a solid five years with a good weapon, then I wouldn't knock them for taking a running back in the first round as long as they hit on it. Just don't pay him a $30 million per or whatever it is on the back end in contract number two. The Lions took a huge step forward last season, barely missing the playoffs and finishing second in the NFC North, but what's the ceiling for them this year? Jason Fitz says it's very very high. You know what the ceiling is for the Detroit Lions? You know oh, what the I'm, ceiling is I'm for the nervous. Detroit Lions? I'm nervous. Getting to the Super Bowl. Ooh. I'm telling you, the Eagles are taking a step back this year. They've gotten rid of like 337 players. Uh, Google it. That's pretty accurate. Uh, the Cowboys might or might not be better, but I mean, for all we know, Dak's going to continue to throw reckless interceptions all the time. The Packers stink now. I don't trust the Vikings. The 49ers uh, every single year seem to be using some guy we've never heard of at quarterback. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I can find a fatal flaw to a bunch of these teams. The Lions had needs on the defensive side of the ball. They've addressed some of them, and I think they'll address more of them in the draft. They're going to make the defensive side of the ball much, much better. Offensively, they were pretty good last year. Uh, they were right on the cusp of a playoff team. Now they take the big leap forward they win their division which gives them a shot at the Super Bowl Amber that's a pretty hot take by Fitz there do you see the Lions <laughs> as a Super Bowl caliber team so let me get this straight Fitz has the Lions in the Super Bowl because everybody else is bad like that's why the Lions are good not because the Lions themselves are actually good but because the competition seems less than. And we've done this each and every year. We end up being wrong about what competition is going to be so hard, what competition is going to be less than. 
I don't see the Lions as being that team that finds itself in the Super Bowl, like Fitz just said, uh, although he tried to amplify it. You know, they were right on the cusp of being a playoff team. It's like, all right, let, let's let's have the Lions make a postseason, and then we can have the conversation after that about maybe the Super Bowl run that they're going to go on. I don't even know if they have their quarterback. People, Some people wanted them to be in on the Lamar Jackson Chase, I, we do this. We've done this. I feel like with the Lions since Dan Campbell got there, because Dan Campbell is you know good for sound bites and with hard knocks. A lot of people ended up buying into that team prematurely. Joe, I'm not saying the Lions aren't headed the right direction, but people continuously want to speed up time with this Detroit Lions team. Classic fits coming out of left field to let you know that the ceiling for the Lions is a Super Bowl, but he's not actually picking them. I didn't hear him at any point say the Lions are going to the Super Bowl, which is what a big boy would do with his big boy pants on. Instead, Fitz was like, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to throw out a half measure. And if it hits, we can play the audio and I can take credit. And if it doesn't hit, I can say, well, I didn't pick him. I just said that was the ceiling. Now, as we all know, I will never pass an opportunity to take a shot at my good friend Jason Fitz. So that's the shot. He lays out a compelling case. The NFC is certainly not the AFC. There's opportunity here. The best way to the playoffs, the best way to make a run is through your division, and the division is weak. Detroit finished last year 9-8. and eight. They got better as the season went on. Two things you got to worry about. Number one, will they start slow for a third consecutive year under Dan Campbell? They've had two very slow starts and two solid finishes. If they start slow again, I'm not so sure I can get behind it. Number two, Jared Goff. Are you good enough to take this team deep into the playoffs? I can see you getting them there, but are you good enough to take them deep in the playoffs? And one thing we got to remember, it's easy to say Philly will be down and the NFC South stinks and the Niners, we don't know who their quarterback is, but teams always emerge. Nobody thought Philly was winning the NFC before the season started last year. No one thought Detroit was going to be that good. No one thought Minnesota was winning 13 games. So be very careful. The New York Giants were a complete afterthought. There will be a couple teams that come out of left field history has shown us that the lions could get to the super bowl yes i don't think it will be as easy as some people think it will be joe and amber here on espn radio we are sounding on and sounding off in the first inning of the padres 8-6 loss to the d-backs this afternoon manny machado was called out on strikes on a pitch clock violation to end the inning and then proceeded to become the first player to be ejected for arguing after a timer violation in a regular season game machado's argument was that he was trying to call a timeout his manager bob melvin was asked about it after the game i don't think he maybe saw it in time um I thought he did, and Manny obviously thought he did, but um, that's you're going to see some of that. And unfortunately, it was a strike three. All right, Joe. So uh, this pitch clock thing, you, you like how it's playing out so far in uh, Major League Baseball? I do because it's interesting, and I am in the business of interesting. I like things that are interesting. I don't like things that are boring or slow or lack compelling aspects to them now that's not to say that's how baseball's been I'm a baseball fan it's a casual game played over the course of the summer everybody wants it amped up like the NBA in the playoffs or like the NFL in the regular season that's not what baseball is it's not it's DNA it's a casual it's been game it's been boring I'll you say call it, it boring you won't say it that's a lot of people think it's boring and I can understand why they think that so I do like the intrigue I also think that if we give it a few months you're going to have players who get accustomed to the rules and we don't have as many of these problems. And then when we get to the postseason, we're probably not going to enforce it strictly because we don't want to see postseason baseball decided by things like this. So I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the way it's going. It's been very interesting. 
I love this because watching Manny Machado readjust his gloves 37 times in the batter's box is ridiculous and unbelievably annoying. It's not good television, Manny. I'm sorry, it ain't. And you are playing a sport that is all geared to entertainment. It's why you get to play a game for a living is because so many of us are entertained by what you do. So you make millions of dollars. Stop adjusting the gloves 450 times. I know that's how you came up playing the game and it's your little thing. And these players are just going to have to learn to adjust because it's not compelling, riveting television to watch guys Step in, step out, adjust, adjust this, pick this, do this, move that. Like, come on, get up there and hit the darn ball. Or you're going to get ejected because ultimately (laughs) you're going to complain when you strike out because you didn't do it in time. I love it. I love it. Good job, baseball. Coming up next. Have the last couple of years changed the way that we view Bill Belichick? We'll get into it. ESPN Radio is on the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. So maybe there's some trouble in New England. There are reports circulating that Bill Belichick might be trying to trade away one of his guys. Before we get into that, we're going to do what Joe does best. Let's try to earn you a little bit more pizza money. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. First two of the night, the Timberwolves minus three over Brooklyn. Joel Embiid over three and a half assists against the Celtics. And now we come to the Pelicans minus four over the Sacramento Kings. This is a situational handicap that involves motivation. What's the motivation for the Kings tonight? They're pretty much locked into the number three seed. This game doesn't mean all that much. What's the motivation for New Orleans? Oh, plenty. They're a half game out of the five seed, just a half game back, but they're only two wins ahead of the final play-in spot. It shows you how tight the bottom half of the Western Conference is right now. So this game is huge for them, and they've been playing huge for a while. They're 7-1 straight up, 7-1 and one against the spread over their last eight games. They're winning those seven games by 20 points per game. And since the start of March, they're number two in the NBA in defensive efficiency. Do not sleep on the New Orleans Pelicans, who are playing great basketball without Zion Williamson yet again. Pizza money number three, New Orleans minus four over Sacramento. What would you say to give them a reason to be optimistic for what's ahead? This is a shift to me in the mentality of Bill. I don't know what he was thinking saying that. And if I was in the locker room, I'd check him right now. So there have been rumors circulating that there might be some tension between Bill Belichick and his former first round pick in Mac Jones. Well, now Pro Football Talk is reporting that Bill Belichick, according to sources, has shopped Mac Jones this off season, Joe, does it shock you to hear that things might be crumbling in New England? Well, okay, so those are two very different statements. Statement number one: does it, shock, does it shock me that he's shopping them? And then you say crumbling. Why does that make it crumbling if they're shopping them? Because if Bill had his guy, he wouldn't be shopping him, right? And if Bill had any guy, then he wouldn't be shopping him. And I don't think that I believe this means that Bill is somehow totally sold on Bailey Zappi. It feels kind of like a desperation move by Bill when you're trying to shop a guy who you just drafted a couple years ago in the first round. That's not normally a position 
that you want to be in where you're trying to move on from your guy after a couple of years who you used a first round pick on, especially at that position. Absolutely agree with that. But at the same time, I do commend teams that if they realize he's not the guy, go out and do something about it. Don't just sit back and wait. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals get almost every single thing wrong that they do. Every decision they make is an example of what not to do, except for when they drafted Josh Rosen and then realized this isn't the guy and immediately drafted Kyler Murray the next year. Now, whether or not Kyler Murray was the right decision, that's a story for another day. He's better than Josh Rosen, though. He is better than Josh Rosen. And they realized very quickly they made a mistake and they moved on from it. How long are you going to just sit around realizing you've made a serious mistake? For the F1 fans out there, that's what Mercedes is going through right now. They tried for the longest time over the last year to just think maybe upgrades could help the car, and they're finally now realizing that they have a problem with their concept and they need to change. And now that they've understood that and they begin changing, they can begin getting better. So if Belichick's been around this guy for two years and after two years says, you know what, he ain't it, go out and shop him. Try to get better. Don't just stick with the problem and hope things miraculously change, but understand that you yourself are part of that problem as well. Having those offensive coordinators in Joe Judge and Matt Patricia last year who aren't really offensive coordinators, that's not going to help any kid develop. Right. I don't think Mac Jones got the fair shake because of that. We are talking about a guy not only was only drafted two years ago as a first rounder, but then went to a Pro Bowl, albeit sure, kind of a Bobo Pro Bowl. He still went to a Pro Bowl, even if he was an alternate, in his first year, in his rookie season. So he had, by all accounts, a pretty decent rookie season. And yeah, he took a step back last year when you didn't put him in a good situation after his coordinator left. And so now you're trying to trade him. I would imagine other teams are looking at this situation like, well, if Bill can't do anything with Mac Jones, why do we want to try to do something with Mac Jones? James Steele had asked me in the pre-show meeting something I thought was interesting. I mean, I know James asking something interesting. Big upset. You, Joe. Okay. Big <laughs> upset. However, you're he did ask something right now, so. really interesting. He said, well, I complimented you earlier. I had to butter you up for this moment. So he asked me if my impression of Bill Belichick as the greatest coach ever has changed over the last, you know, five years since the departure of Tom Brady and everything that's happened there in New England. And I would say that my impression of Bill as a coach hasn't changed that dramatically. To me, he's still in the conversation. Now, maybe he's not, to me, hands down, but greatest coach in NFL history, but he's easily in that room of greatest coaches in NFL history still to this day. What I don't trust Bill Belichick with is being the general manager. Because if you look at his ability or inability to evaluate talent here, I mean, the resume is pretty deep. He's not hitting on these picks. And if he's trying to trade away Mac Jones, that is another first rounder that he did not hit on. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the the draft picks. It's the free agency signings. Like, they brought in Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, two tight ends a couple of years ago. And they got nothing out of Jonu Smith. And they've gotten very little out of Henry, even though he's a talented tight end because he battles so many injuries. You know, this is a guy who is an elite coach. He's probably the greatest coach of all time because the way he schemes, the way he understands how to go go about forcing his opponents to play left-handed, he is the master of that. But you're right. When it comes to personnel decisions, whether it be the draft or free agency, that's where there's a serious issue because for some reason he can't get any good wide receivers 
I mean, how many people need to tell you that Nelson Aguilar can't play before mm-hmm. Nelson Aguilar stops getting jobs? He just got a job in New England. It didn't work. Now he's in Baltimore of all places. Like, if you're in Lamar Jackson, sorry to go on this rant, and Nelson Aguilar is the big signing that's going to come in to help the offense, I'm not in a rush to re-sign with the Ravens. So, yeah, that's Bill's biggest problem right now is that from a – talent evaluation standpoint he hasn't done a very good job he hasn't done a very good job I think Brady some people will say Brady was covering up the deficiencies with the coaching I think Brady was covering up the deficiencies with the talent evaluation it seems like Brady was able to cover up the fact that these guys that he has around him on the offense and now around Mac Jones maybe not the best and even the Mac Jones decision isn't necessarily the best decision in hindsight coming up next here on Joe and Amber is the Aaron Rodgers deal ever going to get done Joe and Amber the podcast